to have a push uh, uh, in, in preaching about the Holy Spirit. In, in preparation for the retreat, I believe the Holy Spirit will just really be powerful, move powerfully at this retreat. And so we really wanted for us to have a hunger uh, for the presence of the Holy Spirit, to have, you know, to, to have the Holy Spirit you know, fill us up and to really have that hunger for that um, as we look forward to the retreat. And today, uh, moving on to a new topic, today I want to talk about something that isn't really talked about in modern world today, right? Um, but it's something that is all over the Bible, and it's the topic of covenant. This might be a very short series. We might do like maybe a two, three sermons series on this. But, um, but today, I want to talk about covenant. Right? Uh, this sermon actually is inspired by Tim Keller. Tim Keller. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys do that. Uh, I love that guy because uh, when I actually heard him talk about covenant, uh, I, not only did I understand covenant relationship more better after I heard him talk, but it actually more better or better. Um, but I actually understood the gospel better, and it actually helped me to realize and understand just the, the whole uh, theme of the Bible and what it is all about. And so, um, uh, you know, it, I give him props for this. And let's take a look at covenant relationships, right? Um, the word covenant is seems very archaic to us. It, people don't use it. We don't see commercials about covenant uh, because it's actually like, you know, when 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 you – Think of like the word covenant. The closest thing that we have to it in this world is contract, right? We all sign contracts. We have a phone contract. You know, all of you guys that have a phone, um, you know, unless you guys are doing the pay-by-play, or whatever. But most of us have a phone contract. We have a phone contract. We have a, a internet contract, you know, and, and all these different things. Every time I go on a website, they make me like click agree for some reason, and then there's like this whole list of like things I've never read in my whole entire life. I know some some people actually like to read that stuff. Like one out of one billion people actually like sit there and read that, but I've never read any of the, 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 the mumbo-jumbo that comes up on the thing. But I always click agree, and that's like a contract. It's an agreement saying like, hey, if you're going to use our services, this is what you're agreeing to. Right? And so the closest thing that we know about you know, something that comes to covenant is contra- contracts, and we sign them all the time. But the world does not know or deal with the subject of covenant. And covenant is like a contract, but it's so much more. And, and, and there's something to it that we see in the Bible that it, it really can activate and, and, and empower our lives for God if we truly understand it. Now, we read Deuteronomy 29, and you guys know that Deuteronomy is the last series of sermon that Moses preaches before he dies. Right? He's, got, he's, he's, he's pretty old now, and he's gone through the wilderness for 40 years, and, he, you know, he finally, he's, and he's about, they're about to enter the promised land. But because he was disobedient, God says, you know, you're not going to enter the promised land. And as he knows that you know, his time is coming to an end, he's preaching a series of sermons. And, and these are the sermons that are in Deuteronomy. And if you look at somebody like Moses that was so intimate with God, right? if you know, you know Moses was so intimate with God, uh, it's important for us to examine and try to understand his last words. I believe that the last words of a person um, are, are very important. Right? Not all the time. Somebody's getting hit by a car, and they're like, oh, crap, you know, like. But then, you know, if somebody knows that they're about to pass away uh, and they want to instill things onto, like, the younger generations, I believe that is very important for us to hear. And I believe that these words of Moses, that what he talks about in, in, these, in these last sermons is about covenant. And although it's, it's a word that isn't really used in modern society, it's a word that is very important to God, and it should be important to his people. Uh, there's no category for this word in, in the modern world. It, it's a word that's very, uh, you know, like.
it. You, you, you use contracts, but it's, it's so much more than that. And so we read in verse 12 through 13 of Deuteronomy 29, it says, So that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you. Now we see here the use of a personal possessive pronoun. And, and, and it, says, it says his people, you know, our God, your God. And when we see the use of these personal possessive pronouns, we see the language of intimacy. Um, we talk like this when we talk about people that are really close to us, like my wife. I love my wife. I love her to death. You know, like she's so graceful to I. I am a big turd, right? And yet she chooses to love me and 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 accept me. You know, and, and I talk about my kids, my kids. You know, like you know, th- th- this is the language of intimacy. My friends, you know, my, our family. You know, and so God. Uh, when, when, you know, this, this thing about covenant is being talked about, um, it's a very intimate, intimate thing that we're talking about. But we also see here the language of law. Right? It says, so that you may enter into this sworn covenant of, your, of the Lord your God. Verses 14, it says, it's not, what you, it's not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant. And so um, not only is this a very intimate thing that we're, he's talking about, he's also talking about something that is actually legal. Is binding, you know, and that's really what makes a covenant so special. It's so much more than a contract; it's a relationship. God always deals with His people in relationship, but it's a relationship that's more loving and intimate than just a mere legal relationship, and yet more binding and accountable and enduring than merely a personal relationship. So, you know, a legal relationship is not very intimate very loving, right? I have a legal relationship with our bank, right? And I know the li- the dude that signed the document, but but you know, and it, as long as you know I pay the interest on time, they're gonna let us live in the house that we're living in, right? But then there's no intimacy there, right? And yet, it's a per- but the covenant is a personal relationship that becomes more loving and intimate because it's legal, because there's these conditions, because it's binding and it's mutual. And you're promising to be faithful to, no matter what happens, no matter the circumstance. And so it's a personal relationship that's actually made more intimate and loving because there are these stipulations. A perfect example is the biblical marriage. You enter a covenant to love and to be faithful no matter what. The relationship between parents and children are also it's like a covenant relationship, right? If I neglect Ethan and then he goes off and does some crazy things, who's responsible? Like me, right? It's a legal like a binding relationship between me and my kids. And it, it, and, it, and it becomes that much more intimate because it's a, it's a legal relationship. It's a mutual relationship. It's a covenant. And there's no category for this, you know, in, in the world because in the world it's all about the self. It's the individual self. It's all about me. It's my experience, my needs, and my desires, my happiness, my joy. I need to be fulfilled. And your individual uh, happiness and your individual like fulfillment and right is the absolute in your life. Everything else is a means to it. You see this in the world all the time. And the relationships that people have become consumer relationships. And, and the narrative is this. If I'm going to be what I should be, as long as you 
are being who you are supposed to be. This is like a consumer relationship. And, it, and if you're not being what you're supposed to be, I'm out. That's, that's a consumer relationship. Right? And we see this play out in the way that we treat our marriages, we treat the world, treats uh, our kids. You know, although it's, it's, a, it's a covenant that they enter into, they treat it like a co- contract. And if they're not getting their needs met, I'm saying, I'm peace out, I'm gone. So we see so much divorce in the world today. And this is the reason why John Michael and Saul, our, 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 our friend John Michael and Saul, has, has a job. He, he is, you know, he works with, uh, he started an organization that goes into all of the children's homes in Korea. And there's a lot of children's homes in Korea. I don't know if you guys know understand that. And there's a lot of people, but the, the ki- a lot of the kids that are in these children's homes are not orphans. They're not true orphans. They have parents. Right? It's just that, that the life that the parents want to live, this child doesn't actually fit into that model that they want to live in. So they, they kind of send them off to these children's homes so that you know, they, can, they can have a, a, a life that's actually a little, little more comfortable. I used to, uh, my, my cousin, when I first came to Korea in 2007, was working um, and living at an orphanage in Seoul. Right? And, and, and because when I came, it was close to there, uh, my aunt got me a place right next to there, and I used to go there all the time and hang out with them. He actually helped start Jerusalem Ministries up in Seoul, um, uh, John Michael's ministry. He was like the vice president or whatever, and, and he was really had a really heart, uh, a big heart for the orphans and wanted to start an orphanage in North Korea. But when I went there and I hung out with these kids, and I would hang out with them a lot, um, I found out that they all have parents. And, and, and they come to visit them once in a while. And there's a lot of them, right? And I, w- I, and I would tell them, like, hey, like, what are you doing? Like, oh, my mom might come tomorrow. And I find out that a, a good number of these kids is they come from divorce. And because, um, um, a, like, re- get, getting remarried, especially for a woman, if you have a kid, it's very difficult because a mom puts the child into a church home. And so that's all the time, but there are cases like this all over Korea, and it's because they treat the covenant relationship with the child as if it's a, it's a, it's, it's a distinct, like, like a consumer relationship. The true covenant relationship is very different. When it says, I will be what I should be, whether you are what I should be. This can make people very nervous because there's a possibility of abuse and ex- exploitation and, and that's what you get when only one side enters into this agreement that day. If I enter into this, in my marriage with Nina, where like I will always be faithful to you, I will always be by your side, I will always, and then Nina doesn't make that agreement, uh, it can lead to abuse. You know, she, but but it only works when both sides enter into into this mutual agreement where they're committed, and 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 and, and both sides choose to be faithful with one another. And that's where you really get the type of relationship that God wants in our lives. You, if you're truly in a covenant relationship where both sides are saying, you're more important to me than, than myself, the relationship is more important to me than my needs, and I will be committed to your needs before my needs. I will be committed to this relationship even if I'm not getting what I'm supposed to, and even if you're not being the, the person that you're supposed to be, at this moment, I'm still going to be committed. And if both sides agree this, it's one of the most fulfilling, like life-changing, joyful relationships that we can be in. If both sides were sacrificed, if both sides were saying, hey, I'm going to give up my independence for you, 
it's a far more fulfilling and, and deep and profound relationship that we're able to have. It's more than a consumer relationship, which says as long as you know, as long as I'm getting my needs met, met, I'm be alright. But if as soon as you stop meeting the needs that you're supposed to be meet, 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 meet in my life, I'm gone. Right? Peace out. Right? Now, not all relationships that we have are covenant relationships. Right? And they don't have to be. Right? We have a babysitter. We love her. She's great. Really great with our kids. But if she comes to our home one day drunk, you know, we're gonna get a new babysitter. Right? There's a lot of relationships that we may have that may not necessarily be covenant relationships, but true covenant relationships are the ones that are the most profound and the most life-changing relationships, the ones that give us the most joy in our lives. It's the most intimate relationships that we can have in our life. Now, if the most profound and joyful and life-giving relationships that we can have is covenant relationship, this means that the relationship that we have with God has to be a covenant has to be a common relationship because it's actually possible for us to have relationship and, and, and have a personal relationship with God and not be a covenant relationship. There's a lot of people out there that says, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Right? How many people have heard that before? Well, I'm spiritual. I don't know why I do that. You know, I'm spiritual. I'm just not religious. You know, like I've heard so many people talk about it that way. But what they're saying is that I want a relationship with God, but I don't want it. I don't want a church to tell me what to do. I don't want accountability in my life. I don't want other people deciding what is right and wrong for me, you know. And 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 in other words, what they're saying is I want a personal relationship with God, but not a covenantal relationship with God. I want a relationship with God that's actually on my own terms. I don't want to be bound by this thing of covenant, you know. I don't want Accountability. I don't want structure. I don't want any of this in my life. What I want is just a relationship with God. And we see this, like, and then we've heard a lot of people talk about, and there's a lot of Christians that, that this is how they view God, and this is how they view their relationship with God. But the Bible tells us that this is not the way that God relates to his people. Because God only relates in terms of covenant. And we see this all over the Bible, starting with Adam, right? first man, or Adam, there's the Adamic covenant, right? He makes a covenant with Adam, right? He's like, oh, you know, take dominion of this land, right? And don't eat from this tree. And we have, we see the covenant that God makes with Noah, right? I'm never going to destroy the world with a flood again. And we see the covenant with Abraham and Jacob and, and all of the patriarchs. And, and, and we see the covenant that he makes with the people of Israel through the Mosaic covenant, right? And, and the promises that that, that the Savior of the world will come through the line of David and the Davidic covenant. All throughout the Old Testament, the way that God deals and relates to people is in covenant relationship. It's the ultimate mixture of law and love that creates the most profound, fulfilling, life-changing relationship, and it's the only way that we can relate to God. And it's in covenant. Now, when we take a deeper look into covenant relationship and the, and, and the covenants of God, there's actually a paradox, right? Paradox are two things that can both be true, but they actually don't make sense, right? When they put them together, it's a mystery. And all covenants have terms or conditions because all contracts have terms and conditions, right? A covenant is more than a contract because it's personal, it's a relationship, but it's so much, it's, but it's not less than a contract. Right? It 
basically has the structures of a contract. And if you meet the terms of the conditions, there's these things called rewards or blessings, right? As long as you do this, you're going to be blessed this way. And if you fail or violate the terms of the covenant, then you have penalties or punishments or in, in the biblical understanding, there are these curses. And so in verse 9, we see it. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. This talks about the rewards of the covenant, right? the blessings that are there for us if, we, if the people of God are, you know, are faithful to the covenant. And then we have verse 18 and on. It says, Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root-bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle, settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under the heavens. Right, this talks about the curses. They violate this penalty, and these are the conditions. These are the curses that, that are going to be upon you. And that's what makes a contract valuable. Right? There's penalties. There's conditions. Right? And it keeps people committed. It keeps people honest. It keeps people, you know, like, you know, they, they know what they're supposed to do. And the Lord will be, it says, the Lord will not be willing to forgive you. It sounds really harsh. But rather, the anger of the Lord and, the, and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in him, all of the curses that are in this book, is going to be falling upon him. And the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. That sounds really harsh. When we hear this, like, never forgive you, and all the curses, like, that doesn't sound like the forgiving God that we know about. Right? That doesn't sound like God. But if God is a covenant God, what good is a covenant if he just ignores the penalty? He sweeps him under the rug. And this is the paradox. This is the mystery at the center of the Bible. And the understanding this will help us understand uh, the, the central, the heart of the message of the Word of God. Because when we read the Bible in the Old Testament, we see hundreds of statements like this. I can't forgive a rebellious per, uh, people. I can't bless a disobedient people. You must be obedient. I am righteous and just God. Right? I can't sweep sin under the rug. Right? You see, no matter, like all throughout the Old Testament, we see so many like passages and so many times where God says, I can't bless you. I can't forgive you if you're being rebellious. But there are also hundreds of statements in the Bible all throughout the New Testament that says, I will always accept you. I will always love you. I will never give up on you. I will never forsake you. This is the tension. This is the irreconcilable tension, and this is the, this is the mystery and the paradox that's underlying all of the plot lines throughout the Bible. You see God and his people make covenants, and they fail, and they fail, and they fail. And every time, right, they fail every time. And the question comes up is, will God give in to his people? Because that goes against his holiness. Or will God give up on his people? Because that goes against his faithfulness, right? And the question is, are the promises and the blessings of God conditional or are they unconditional? That is the question, and that's the mystery at the center, right? The problem is, over and over again in the Bible, right, the Bible gives contradictory answers. 
and this and all throughout the Bible. This is one of the you know the Bible. They say Bible never contra- well. There's contradictions in the Bible about about who God is. It says God says I can't forgive you if you sin against me, and then all and all these other passages like I will never give up on you. I will always love you. I will I will never forsake you. And and this is a tension that we find ourselves in, and and because of this this contradiction, right? Uh, it causes m- many of us to fall on one side or the other. Right? We fall on one side or the other. Uh, instead of truly finding the the balance, the biblical balance that we can learn about, most people either fall into one side or the other. They they fall on the liberal side where they say yes, you know, you need to obey, you need to obey God, you know, and his is you know. Uh, it's very important to obey God. But in the end, God loves everybody, and God, will lo- God loves me, and he's going to forgive me, and everything's going to be okay. Or you can fall onto the conservative side that says, yes, God is very loving, he's very kind, but in the end, you have to obey him if you want him to love you. Those are the two sides that many people, they find themselves in. It's uh, The law is the reality, and love is secondary. You know, the promises and the blessings of God are conditional. Or love is everything. It's all about love, love, love. And the law is secondary. And the promises and the blessings of God are unconditional. Yes, we fall into one of these sides. And so everybody, because they don't know how to resolve this tension in the Bible, at the, car, at the heart of the covenant, they tend to slide towards relativism or moralism. They feel like, you know what, I, I, can, I know I'm supposed to try to do right, and I know I'm supposed to be good, but in the end... You know, even though I mess up and even though whatever, I, I, God's going to ultimately forgive me and there's grace, right? grace, 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 and, and, and everything's going to be okay and God's going to love me. Or you fall into the other side where you live in guilt. You live like lives filled with guilt and condemnation because you can't live up to the, to the commandments and, and the righteousness of God. But the Bible does not ultimately resolve this. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout Scripture, this mystery, this paradox remains. In Judges 2.1, it says, I will never break my covenant with you. And then two verses later, it says, I, I will not bless you if you disobey me. So how, how is this resolved? How, how can we find a resolution? To, I believe the answer can be found in verse 13 of Deuteronomy 29. It says, that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your father Abraham, fathers a- to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. It says, he swore to your father. Where does God, where does God like, swear that he's going to bless us? Where do, in the Bible does God take this oath? And we can read it in Genesis 15. Let's all turn our Bibles to Genesis 15. And this is the heart of understanding God's covenantal love. And in essence, the central message of the Bible. Genesis 15, it says, you know, God appears to Abraham and says, like, hey, I'm going to bless you. Like the, the, your, your, your line is not going to continue on through this man, but you're going to have a son of your own. And I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And you're going you're gonna to be a blessing to every nation. And then he says, look up at the stars. You know, look, you know, look, at, look at how many stars are in your your offspring is going to be like the stars in the sky. You know, you can't, you will not be able to number them. And then in verse eight, Abraham says this: "Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it?" And he said to him, "Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a 
a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. And he did not cut the, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in, in peace. You shall be buried in, the good old, in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generations for the iniquity of the Amorites for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it says, this is the important part, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenzitites, and the Cam." Cadmonites, the Hittites, Perizzites, and all of the different ites that are listed there, right? Here we see God telling Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you. And then Abraham's like, well, how do I know that you're going to bless me? And then, a- and then God has Abraham do something that's, that seems very odd for us today, right? Like when I read this first time, I was like, what? Why, why is he doing this? But for Abraham, it, was, it made perfect sense to him. Because back then, when a lord wanted to make an agreement with like a servant or like an underling or a master wanted to like make an agreement or a covenant with somebody that was under him, this is what they would do. Right? They would bring these animals, cut them in half, and, and cut them into pieces, and they would arrange them in a certain way. And then the servant would walk through the pieces, right? and then they would say the words of the covenant. And this was basically a symbolic gesture of what would happen to him if he failed to live up to the covenant. This is how they made covenants on the time ago. He was acting out the curse of the covenant. If, you know, if I do keep my promise of the covenant, if I don't keep my, the promises of my covenant, may I be cut into pieces like this. This is what was the general understanding and, and the general idea of, of how covenants were made. And so Abraham figured he was arranging the scene of a covenant ceremony. It says that God... God just asked him to bring these, these animals, it's, but he just cut them up himself, and then he arranged them because he actually knew what he was doing. He's like, okay, this is a time of a covenant ceremony. So he cuts the pieces up, and he arranges them, uh, waiting for God to have him walk through and make an oath. And he waited, and he waited, and it says that darkness came down. And then God appears to him you know, as a smoking fire and a flaming torch and passed between these pieces. And God makes this covenant with Abraham to bless him. Now, this would have blown Abraham's mind because a Lord would never make this. The Lord would never walk through the pieces. Right? It was always the servant. It was always the one that was, that, was, that was lesser. He would always walk through and make this covenant. And he would promise, hey, if I don't fulfill the, 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 the conditions of this covenant, may I be cut into pieces this way. A Lord never did this. Because the Lord, like, because it basically meant is that he's promising to die if he doesn't bless him. He's promising to be torn into pieces if he does not bless him. But that's not all. Here's the part that really shocks Abraham, and this is the part that should be really shocking to us. 
But God never calls Abraham to walk through the pieces himself. You know, the, the ceremony ends. God walks through the pieces as a smoking fire and this pillar. And he walks through the pieces. He makes his covenant with Abraham. But God never asks Abraham to walk through the pieces himself. And it's amazing for a Lord to walk through the pieces, but for the servant not to walk through the pieces was, was mind-blowing. And God was making the promise for the both of them. And he was taking the curse of the covenant for the both of them. What this meant was, not only will I be, this is God saying, not only will I be torn into pieces if I don't bless you, but I will be torn into pieces even if you are not faithful to this covenant. I will bless you no matter what, even if it means that my immortality becomes mortal. I will bless you even if it means that I will be torn into pieces. I will bless you even if my glory is covered in darkness. If I don't live up to the covenant, and even if you don't live up to the covenant, I will bless you. And, and he was. Because centuries later, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he was literally torn into pieces. Darkness fell upon you know, the Calvary. And he was beaten, he was humiliated, he was nailed to a cross, and he was pierced in his side to make sure that he was dead. What Jesus was doing was he was taking on the covenant curse. And Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is how God can be just and also justify those who are sinful and guilty that come to him and believe in him. This is the ultimate blend of law and love. Are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? The answer is yes in Christ Jesus. Because on the cross, what did Jesus do? He absolutely fulfilled the, the, the conditions of the law by being perfect so that we could so that you know we could be blessed but he also took on the curse of the law even though we messed up he takes on the curse so that, that we don't end up in in hell forever in damnation he lived the perfect life so he fulfilled the terms of the covenant he earned the blessing but he sac- his sacrificial official death he fulfilled the curse of the covenant which was meant for us and so we are saved and we're able to have his blessing that's available to us. He fulfilled the conditions of the covenant that we can be accepted by him unconditionally. And this is the center of the heart of the Bible. This is the gospel. This is is covenant theology. This is covenantal love. This is the new covenant that God makes with us. Jesus makes with us a new covenant by saying this. He is the new covenant and a relationship with him is in covenant. You can't have a relationship with God and not it be covenantal. Because if you if it's co- if it's not covenant, you're erasing all of the things that Jesus did to come and fulfill the covenant for ourselves. As Jesus says that I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And the relationship that we have with Christ is in covenant. 
Now, when we truly understand God's covenant relationship, it changes our perspective. It changes how we see God. It changes how we see ourselves. I'm going to go through a few of them. And then first, it changes our obedience. I said earlier that in the tension that we find in the Bible with covenants, we, it, we either fall on the side where we're, where, where we're very hard on ourselves because we can't live up to the things of God, or we fall on the other side where we're very liberal with ourselves and we just, just throw grace at every peop- everybody's face and we're just saying, all right, everything is fine. Jesus loves me. We find ourselves on each side. And it creates this tension. And, and we either see the promises conditional or we see his promises and his blessings unconditional. But when we realize that Jesus fulfilled the covenant for us, not only the rewards, but also he took on the curse of the covenant for us, our obedience comes from that place, and it's the obedience of thanksgiving. We are thankful to Jesus for what he did, and we take the commandments of God seriously, but it's not a way to save ourselves. If we fail, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel, and it changes our obedience. It's not in ways... It's not ways to earn his acceptance, but God himself did everything so that he can accept us completely at a radical and infinite cost to himself. And we take, we take this seriously. We take his commandments seriously. But when we fail, we don't fall into condemnation and despair. We, we, we try our best because of what Jesus did. We, do every, we do try our best to live and be like Jesus but when we fail, we don't feel condemned. And we, and we, we don't find ourselves in this, in this place of condemnation because Jesus took on the curse. And this is how we're able to have the type of... This is true obedience, guys. It's not obeying God out of duty. Right? We can obey God out of duty. Right? Like, oh, I have to obey God. That's not true obedience. Right? Or we can like give them this half effort, obedience, right? Where we're just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try my best, but, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, God loves me, so I don't really have to try that hard, right? I'm not true obedience. But the, the obedience that comes from covenant relationship is true obedience because there's a relationship there. It's obedience that flows from the relationship. Like, God, you made this agreement, this covenant between you and me, right? And then now that I'm in this covenant, right, I'm going to do everything to, 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 to meet up and, and I'm going to do everything to fulfill and, and, and live this life to, to honor this covenant. But even if I fail, you took the punishment for me. You took the curse for me. And so you obey at, from a place of relationship, covenant relationship. It radically transforms our obedience. We're not on that side where we're just feeling condemned all the time. Oh, man, I messed up. I messed up, and now God hates me. How many, how many times have you felt that? And I used to be immature. I used to think, like, I had to go to bed, and I'd be like, God hates me, right? God thinks I'm a, you know, he thinks I'm, I'm, I'm worthless, right? And then so many people live in this way where they're trying to earn his love. They're trying to earn his acceptance. They're trying to live this life, and every time they fail, they feel condemned, or you fall on the other side where it's like, oh, everything is good. These are the hippies, right? Oh, God, love, love, love. Grace, grace, grace. Right? I don't really have to change the way I live my life. Right? And, and, and the, I don't have to have accountability in my life because God is love and God loves me. Right? Well, what kind of life is that you, are you living? 
But then covenant relationship is this, it's like, hey, there's a covenant between me and my God. And I'm going to do my best. I'm going to live my life to, to, to honor this covenant and live righteously for God. But if I fail, there's still no condemnation in Christ Jesus because he took the curse for me. That's true obedience. And you can only have this true obedience when we understand the type of relationship that you are in with God. It's a one of covenant. But it's amazing because God takes on the, he, 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 he conquers, he fulfills the, the, the condition to be blessed, but he also takes on the curse so that we don't have to. And so it radically changes our obedience to God. And next, it supercharges our faith. Because when we understand God, he initiates covenant with us. God always initiates covenant. There's never been a man in history that went up to God and said, God, let's make a deal. God, I got this deal for you, right? It never works that way. God comes to us and says, I want a love relationship with you, an intimate, legal, binding love relationship with, with, with me, a relationship where I, I can love you and you can love me. And I can pour out my spirit upon you where I'm committed to you in covenant. He basically wants to marry us. He basically wants this binding relationship with us. And marriage is scary. How many of you guys, some of us are married in here, and and some of you guys want to get married, but marriage is scary. I was scared before I got married. Because you're promising to sacrifice, to be faithful, to love and cherish the other person for life. How do you know that they're going to do and be what they said that they're going to be? Right? How do we know? that? How did I know that Mina was going to be faithful to me and that she was not going to turn into this crazy woman? All of a sudden, right after our vows, he's like, Rawr, you know? Like, it's scary. We, it's hard to, you know, get into these kind of relationships. Well, Jesus calls us into this covenant relationship, and he's already fulfilled the covenant for the both of us. He's already died for us. He's already cut. He was already cut and torn into pieces so that we could, he could love us unconditionally. So we can trust him. We can put our faith in him. And when we truly understand that, our faith becomes real. Our faith becomes real. It's not a faith that's based on like you know, some earned God's love. It's not a faith that comes from, you know, it's like, hey, I, I want God, but I don't want God in like every crevice of my life, you know. But it's, it's real because it comes from a place of covenant. It comes from a place of promise. And Jesus says, hey, I fulfilled the promise for the both of us. So it supercharges our faith. Right? And lastly, and this is the sermon that I'm going to preach next week, is it changes our understanding of covenant relationship with, with each other. It changes and transforms our communities. And it's going to be my next sermon, but when we have an understanding of God and the, our covenant relationship with God, it, can ra- it radically is supposed to change the relationships that we have with each other in, in the communities of God, in the body of Christ. And, and we'll have that as a sermon next week. But, and right now we're gonna, I'm going to close. But I want us to have a new understanding of our relationship with God. That it's not about what we do or, or all of the things that, you know, but it's about the promise that was made by God to bless us, to be for us, to love us and to accept us. And and it comes from a place where he actually has fulfilled 
the promises. He's fulfilled the covenant for the both of us. It doesn't mean that, you know, we live like la, 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 and it doesn't mean that we live in this place of condemnation, but we live in a relationship with the Father. It's a covenant relationship. I have a covenant relationship with Ethan and Ezra. I love them to death. And I would do anything for them. There's times where they do stupid things and I get angry. It doesn't mean that I'm just going to up and leave. Some people do that, right? I'm not going to leave. That's, that's the love that I have for my kids. But that's just, that's, that's just a small reflection of the, the covenant relationship that God wants us to have. Yeah, we mess up. We may mess up, but, but you know what? In the end, God says, hey, I'm in this relationship with you. I am for you. I'm not against you. I love you. I want you to live under this covenant because it's going to protect you. This covenant is going to guide you. This covenant is going to lead you and shape you into the person that I want you to be. Let's all stand up. Let's close in prayer.